Welcome to Dreamful Podcast. Bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, Sarita Van Gramberg and Jade Lohr. Thank you both so much, and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. If you find value in Dreamfall and would also like to contribute to the show, please visit dreamfallstories.com where you can find info about the show, and on the support page, there's a link to become a Patreon subscriber. Patreon members get access to bonus episodes, and perks like voting on future episodes, holographic stickers, giveaways, and behind-the-scenes extras. Another way you can support Dreamfall is to leave a 5-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or tell a friend about the show. This really helps other listeners find us. Relationships take work, especially the most important one you can have in your life, your relationship with yourself. So this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does, and therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy, and Dreamful Bedtime Stories listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash dreamful. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-E. I've been waiting to do this story for such a long time and is one of the most requested books by Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. So, snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams. became known that Netherfield Park, the great place of the neighborhood, was let to a rich and handsome young bachelor called Bingley, and that Mr. Bingley and his party were to attend the forthcoming ball at the assembly rooms. Nowhere did the news create more interest and rouse greater hopes than in the household of the Bennets, the chief inhabitants of Longbourn. For Mr. Bennet was the father of five unmarried daughters, while Mrs. Bennet made the business of her life, getting her daughters married 
and its solace, visiting and news. The evening fix for the ball came round at last, and when the Netherfield party entered the assembly rooms, it was found to consist of five persons altogether. Mr. Bingley, his two sisters, the husband of the elder, and another young man. Mr. Bingley was good-looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. His sisters were fine women, with an air of decided fashion. His brother-in-law, Mr. Hurst, merely looked the gentleman, but his friend, Mr. Darcy, soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble mien, and the report, which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance, of his having ten thousand a year. He was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening, till his manners gave a disgust, which turned the tide of his popularity, for he was found to be proud, to be above his company, and above being pleased. Mr. Bingley had soon made himself acquainted with all the principal people in the room. He was lively and unreserved, danced every dance, was angry that the ball closed so early, and talked of giving one himself at Netherfield. What a contrast between him and his friend. Mr. Darcy danced only once with Mrs. Hurst, and once with Miss Bingley, and declined being introduced to any other lady. It so happened that Elizabeth, the second eldest of the Bennet girls, had been obliged by the scarcity of gentlemen to sit down for two dances, and during part of that time, Mr. Darcy had been standing near enough for her to overhear a conversation between him and Mr. Bingley, who came from the dance for a few minutes. Come, Darcy, said he. I must have you dance. I hate to see you standing about by yourself in this stupid manner. You had much better dance. I certainly shall not. You know how I detest it. Unless I am particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable. Your sisters are engaged and there is not another woman in the room whom it would not be a punishment to me to stand up with. I would not be so fastidious as you are, cried Bingley, for a kingdom. Upon my honor, I never met with so many pleasant girls in my life as I have this evening, and there are several of them, you see, uncommonly pretty. You are dancing with the only handsome girl in the room, said Mr. Darcy, looking at the eldest, Miss Bennet, 
she is the most beautiful creature I ever beheld. But there is one of her sisters sitting down, just behind you, who is very pretty, and I dare say, very agreeable. Do let me ask my partner to introduce you. Which do you mean? Asked Mr. Darcy. And turning round, he looked for a moment at Elizabeth. Till, catching her eye, he withdrew his own and coldly said, She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me, and I am in no humor at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by their men. You had better return to your partner and enjoy her smiles, for you are wasting your time with me. Mr. Bingley followed his advice. Mr. Darcy walked off, and Elizabeth remained with no very cordial feelings toward him. She told the story, however, with great spirit among her friends, for she had a lively, playful disposition which delighted in anything ridiculous. Despite his rather unpromising commencement, the course of a few days placed the acquaintance of the Bennets with the Bingleys on a footing approaching friendship, and soon matters began to stand somewhat as follow. It was obvious that Charles Bingley and Jane Bennet were mutually attracted. While the Bingley ladies expressed themselves as willing to know the two elder Miss Bennets and pronounced Jane a sweet girl, they found the other females of the family impossible. Mrs. Bennet was intolerably stupid and tedious. Mary, who being the only plain member of her family, piqued herself on the extent of her reading and the solidity of her reflections, was a platitudinous moralist. While Lydia and Kitty were loud, silly, giggling girls who spent all their time in running after men. As for Mr. Darcy, the indifference he at first felt to Elizabeth Bennet was gradually converted into a sort of guarded interest. Originally, he had scarcely allowed her to be pretty, but now he admired the beautiful expression of her dark eyes. To this discovery succeeded some others, equally mortifying. Though he had detected more than one failure of perfect symmetry in her form, he was forced to acknowledge her figure to be light and pleasing, and in spite of his asserting that her manners were not those of the fashionable world, he was caught by their easy playfulness. He began to wish to know more of her, and, as a step towards conversing with her himself, attended to her conversation with others, while since both he and she were of a satirical turn. They soon began to exchange little rallying, challenging speeches, so that Caroline Bingley, 
who was openly angling for Darcy herself, said to him one night, How long has Miss Elizabeth Bennet been such a favorite? And pray, when am I to wish you joy? To which remarks, he merely replied, That is exactly the question which I expected you to ask. A lady's imagination is very rapid. It jumps from admiration to love, from love to matrimony in a moment. I knew you would be wishing me joy. Meantime, the friendship subsiding between the two families was advanced by a visit of some days paid by the two Bennett sisters to the Bingleys, at whose house Jane, thanks to her mother's scheming, was laid up with a bad cold. On this occasion, Jane was coddled and made much of by her dear friends Caroline and Mrs. Hurst. But Elizabeth was now reckoned too attractive by one sister and condemned as too sharp-tongued by both. Darcy's growing attachment to Eliza was a little dreamt of by that young lady. Indeed, her prejudice against him was strengthened by her pleasant intercourse with a handsome and agreeable young man called Wickham, an offer of the militia regiment quartered at Meryton, the nearest town to Longbourn. He told her how he was the son of a trusted steward of Darcy's father, it had been left by the old gentleman to his heir's liberality and care, and how Darcy had absolutely disregarded his father's wishes and had treated his protege in cruel and unfeeling fashion. On the top of this disclosure, and just as it seemed certain that Bingley was on the point of proposing to Jane, the whole Netherfield party suddenly abandoned Hertfordshire and returned to town. About this time, the Reverend Mr. Collins, heir presumptive to Longbourn, came on a visit to the Bennets. He was a tall, heavy-looking young man of five and twenty. His air was grave and stately, and his manners were very formal. He was a strange mixture of pomposity, servility, and self-importance. A creature most abjectly, yet most amusingly, devoid of anything like tact, taste, or humor. Being ready to make the Bennet girls every possible amends for the unwilling injury he must eventually do them. He thought, first of all, of offering himself to Jane. But hearing that her affections were pre-engaged, he had only to change from Jane to Elizabeth. It was soon done, done while Mrs. Bennet was stirring the fire. His proposal he made to the young lady in a long, set speech, in which he explained First of all, his general reasons for marrying, 
and then his reasons for directing his matrimonial views to Longbourn. Finally assuring her that on the subject of the small portion she would bring him, no ungenerous reproach should ever pass his lips when they were married. It was absolutely necessary to interrupt him then, so Elizabeth told him he was too hasty, thanked him for his proposals, and declined them. Rejected by Elizabeth, to the great satisfaction of her father, and to the great indignation of her mother, the rector of Hunsford lost no time in betaking himself to Elizabeth's dearest friend, Charlotte Lucas, who, being a girl with unromantic, not to say prosaic, views of marriage, readily accepted and married him, thereby moving to further disgust and anger. Poor Mrs. Bennet, who was already wondering and repining at Mr. Bingley's returning no more into Hertfordshire. Jane suffered in silence, and despite Elizabeth's efforts to point out the duplicity of Caroline Bingley, was inclined to believe the protestations that the latter made in her letters from London of Bingley's growing attachment to Darcy's sister, Georgiana. Wickham, though he had not arrived at an intimacy which enabled him to jilt Elizabeth, yet most certainly transferred his attentions very shortly from her to Miss King, who, by the death of her grandfather, had come in to ten thousand pounds. Elizabeth, however, was quite heart whole, and she and her former admirer parted on friendly terms when she left Longbourn to pay her promised visit to Mr. and Mrs. Collins at Hunsford. There she found Charlotte, managing her home and her husband with considerable discretion. And as the rectory adjoined Rosings Park, the seat of Lady Catherine de Boer, the patroness of the living, she was introduced to that lady in whom she could discover nothing but an insolent aristocratic woman who dictated to everyone about her, meddled in everyone's business, aimed at marrying her sickly daughter to Darcy, and was, needless to say, slavishly adored by Mr. Collins. In the third week of her visit, Mr. Darcy and his cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam, came down to see their aunt, and thus, to Elizabeth's indifference, an acquaintance was renewed, which Darcy soon seemed to show a real desire to take up again. He sought her society at Rosings Park. He called familiarly at the rectory. He waylaid her in her favorite walk. And all the time, in all his intercourse with her, he revealed such a mixture of interest and constraint that some internal struggle was going on within him. Mrs. Collins began to hope for her friend, 
but Elizabeth, who had received from Colonel Fitzwilliam ample confirmation of her suspicion that it was Darcy who had persuaded Bingley to give up Jane, was now only more incensed against the man who had broken her sister's peace of mind. On the very evening of the day on which she had extracted this piece of information from his cousin, Darcy, knowing her to be alone, called at the rectory and, after a silence of several minutes, came towards her in an agitated manner. In vain I have struggled, he said. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression. She stared, colored, doubted, and was silent. This he considered sufficient encouragement, and the avowal of all that he felt, and had long felt, for her immediately followed. He spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed. His sense of her inferiority, of marriage with her being a degradation, of the family obstacles which judgment had always opposed to the inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but it was very unlikely to recommend his suit. In truth, it was already lost. For though Elizabeth could not be insensible to the compliment of such a man's affection, her intentions did not vary for an instant. Accusing him of having ruined, perhaps forever, the happiness of her sister Jane, and of having blighted the career of his former friend Wickham, she reproached him with the uncivil style of his declaration, and gave him her answer in the words, You could not have made me the offer of your hand, in any possible way, that would have tempted me to accept it. Soon after, Darcy took his leave, but the next day he accosted Elizabeth in the park and handed her a letter, which he begged her to read. She read it and had the mortification to discover that he was able to clear himself of both the charges she had brought against him. He maintained that in separating Bingley from Jane, he had not the slightest notion that he was doing the latter any injury, since he never credited her with any strong attachment to his friend. And he assured Elizabeth that, though Wickham had always been an idle and dissipated person, he had more than fulfilled his father's intentions to him, and that Wickham had repaid him for his generosity by trying to elope with his younger sister, Georgiana. 
When Elizabeth returned to Longbourn, she found it a relief to tell Jane of Darcy's proposal and of his revelation of Wickham's real character. But she thought it best to suppress every particular of the letter in which Jane herself was concerned. Some two months later, Elizabeth went on a tour in Derbyshire with her maternal uncle and aunt, Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner. The latter had lived for some years at a town called Lambton and wished to revisit her old friends there. And as Pemberley, Mr. Darcy's seat, was only five miles off and was a show place, the Gardiners determined to see it though their niece was reluctant to accompany them until she had learned that its owner was not at home. As they were being shown over the place, Elizabeth could not help reflecting that she might have been mistress of it, and she listened with surprise as the old housekeeper told them that she should never meet with a better master, that she had never had a cross word from him in her life, that as a child, he was always the sweetest-tempered, most generous-hearted boy in the world, and that there was not one of his tenants or servants, but would testify to his excellent qualities as a landlord and a master. As they were walking across the lawn, the owner of Pemberley himself suddenly came forward from the road, and as if to justify the praises of his housekeeper, and to show that he had taken to heart Elizabeth's former complaints of his behavior, proceeded to tell the gardener party with the greatest civility and even cordiality. He introduced his sister to them, asked them to dinner, invited Mr. Gardner to fish at Pemberley's as often as he chose, and, in answer to a spiteful remark of Miss Bingley's, to the effect that he had thought Elizabeth pretty at one time, made the crushing reply, Yes, that was only when I first knew her, for it is many months since I have considered her as one of the handsomest women of my acquaintance. But just when Elizabeth's growing esteem and gratitude might have deepened into affection for Darcy, Circumstances were communicated to her in a letter from Jane. Lydia, who had got herself invited by some friends to Brighton in order to be near the militia regiment, which had been transferred there from Meryton, had eloped with Wiggum, and the pair, instead of going to Scotland to be married, appeared to be living together in London, unmarried. Darcy seemed to be staggered when he heard the news, and instantly acquiesced in the immediate return of the Gardner party to Longbourn. They found on their arrival that Mr. Bennet was searching for his daughter in London, where Mr. Gardner agreed to go consult with him. Thanks, as it seemed, to the investigations and to the generosity of Mr. Gardner, 
the eloping couple were discovered, and it was made worth Wickham's while to marry Lydia. Longbourn society bore the good news with decent philosophy, though, to be sure, it would have been more for the advantage of conversation had Miss Lydia Bennet come upon the town. After arrangements had been made for Wickham's entering the regulars and joining a regiment at Newcastle, his marriage with Lydia took place, and the young couple were received at Longbourn. Well, Mama, said Lydia, and what do you think of my husband? Is not he a charming man? I am sure my sisters must all envy me. They must all go to Brighton. That is the place to get husbands. You and Papa and my sisters must come down and see us. And then, when you go away, you may leave one or two of my sisters behind you. And I dare say I shall get husbands for them before the winter is over. I thank you for my share of the favor, said Elizabeth, but I do not particularly like your way of getting husbands. Indeed, from some remark which Lydia let slip about Darcy being at the wedding, Elizabeth soon began to think that it was only due to outside efforts that Mrs. Wickham had succeeded in getting her own husband. An application for information, which she made to her Aunt Gardner, confirmed the suspicion. Darcy, it seems, had hurried up to London immediately on hearing of the elopement, and it was he who, thanks to his knowledge of Wickham's previous history, found out where Lydia and he were lodging. By dint of paying his debts to the tune of a thousand pounds, buying his commission, and settling another thousand pounds on Lydia, persuaded him to make her an honest woman. That is to say, thought Elizabeth, Darcy had met, frequently met, reasoned with, persuaded, and finally bribed the man whom he always most wished to avoid, and whose very name it was punishment for him to pronounce. Meantime, Bingley, accompanied by Darcy, made his reappearance at Netherland Park and at the Bennets, and Elizabeth had the mortification of seeing her mother welcome the former with the greatest effusiveness and treat the latter coldly and almost resentfully. Any friend of Mr. Bingley's will always be welcome here, to be sure, but else I must say that I hate the very sight of him, said Mrs. Bennet, as she watched the two men approaching the house to pay their first visit. Despite, however, rather than by reason of, the surfeit of amiability on the part of the mother, the lovers quickly came to an understanding and this, strangely enough, in the absence of Darcy, who had gone up to town. 
it was in Darcy's absence, also, that Lady Catherine de Boer came over to Longbourn and helped to bring about what she most ardently wished to prevent by making an unsuccessful demand on Elizabeth that she should promise not to accept Darcy for a husband and by then reporting to him that Elizabeth had refused to give such a promise. The natural result followed. Elizabeth mustered up courage one day to thank Darcy for all he had done for Lydia. And the subject soon led him to affirm that in that matter, he had thought only of Elizabeth and to renew his former proposals of marriage. When Mrs. Bennet first heard the great news, she sat quite still and unable to utter a syllable. And at first, even Jane and her father were almost incredulous of the engagement because they had seen practically nothing of the courtship. But in the end, they were all convinced. And Mr. Bennet's decisive comment was, I admire all my three sons-in-law highly. Wickham perhaps is my favorite, but I think I shall like your husband quite as well as Jane's. If any young men come for Mary or Kitty, send them in, for I am quite at leisure. Chapter 5 